I wanted to give you a little bit of a heads up on where we're heading with our preaching calendar over the next, what is it, six weeks or so. So we have a fairly clear, this isn't always true, but we have a fairly clear direction, a sense of where we're headed. And I wanted to give you some insight into that. So over the next three weeks, we'll be doing a sermon series about Christian friendship. And you'll see why this is rooted in Acts 9 here in a minute as we begin that series this morning. Next week, we'll talk about the role of the Holy Spirit in Christian friendship. And then the following week, we'll talk about spiritual warfare uh, fighting against the reality and experience of Christian friendship. But I, I really wanted to give you a heads up that beginning on October 25th, we'll hit this section in Acts 9 where it says that Paul was proving that Jesus is the Christ. Paul was proving that Jesus is the Christ. And what I've begun to do, and we'll have finished by the time we get to October 25th, is to see that there are, there are some, main, uh, some, some main strategies that Paul employed to prove that Jesus is the Christ. And there are the three strategies. We'll take a sermon each on one, each one of them. The first one is, is his personal testimony. The second one is that he will, when he's speaking to Jewish audiences, speak about the prophetic fulfillment of Jesus uh, from the Old Testament. But when he's speaking to Greek audiences, he'll talk about how Jesus fulfills the philosophical categories established uh, by what I think of as the, 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 the Gentile John the Baptist, Socrates and Plato and Aristotle. Uh, so, so we're going to talk about the philosophical and prophetic uh, fulfillments of Jesus. And then the third week, uh, in November 8th, we're going to talk about the historicity of the resurrection. Now, I'm letting you know this because I'm going to let you know that we're just going to be extremely uh, oriented toward sharing simple truths about Christ these three weeks to people who are not Christians. So this would be the ideal time for you to invite a friend and say, hey, you know, this week we're, we're going to do this thing and it's, it's, it's super low key. Um, you know, if you want to come and listen, there's, there's three evidences that will be presented over three weeks that, that the Apostle Paul used primarily in his ministry to prove Christianity, to prove that Jesus is the Christ. So it would be wonderful if you could invite folks to attend those particular three weeks. And then, of course, they'll also be available online, and hopefully you'll get some use out of them there as well. And today, we start our series on Christian friendship. Uh, September 20th, not that long ago, we passed the 89th anniversary of what I think is one of the most important events to happen in modern Christianity. So on September 20th of 1931, three brilliant 30-something professors stayed up till 4 a.m. talking, and their names were Tolkien, Dyson, and Lewis. And they had spent most of that day walking and talking, but late into the night, they retreated into Lewis's room. Tolkien went to bed around, I think, two. But, uh, but Dyson and Lewis continued to talk. Lewis would re later recall this experience this way. We began on metaphor and myth, interrupted by a rush of wind which came so suddenly on the still warm evening and sent so many leaves pattering down that we thought it was raining. We all held our breath, the other two appreciating the ecstasy of such a thing almost as you would. 
We continued in my room on Christianity. A good, long, satisfying talk in which I learned a lot. Then discussed the difference between love and friendship, and then finally drifted back to poetry and books. But today we're going to speak, begin speaking about Christian friendship, and I would just say that without Christian friendship, you wouldn't have C.S. Lewis. Friendship was probably top three in the means of grace in C.S. Lewis's life and continued that way really forever. There's really few modern Christian writers who understood the central role of friendship like Lewis did. You know, he's married so late in life that he really leaned into friendship in a unique way. He wrote a book called The Four Loves. And you're going to get a lot of Lewis quotes today, by the way, which I think is probably a good thing. Uh, in, the, in the book Four Loves, he, he talks about friendship this way. He says, in a perfect friendship, this appreciative love is, I think, often so great and so firmly based that each member of the circle feels in his secret heart humbled before all the rest. Sometimes he wonders what he is doing there among his betters. He is lucky beyond dessert to be in such company, especially when the whole group is together, each bringing out all that is best, wisest, or funniest in all the others. Those are the golden sessions. When four or five of us, after a hard day's walking, have come to our inn, when our slippers are on, our feet are spread toward the blaze, and our drinks are at our elbows, when the whole world and something beyond the world opens itself to our minds as we talk, and no one has any claim on or any responsibility for another, but all are free men and equals, as if we had first met an hour ago, while at the same time an affection mellowed by the years unfolds. Life, natural life, has no better gift to give. Who could have deserved it? What we're going to see unfolding as we continue in the book of Acts is that the, the role of Christian friendship was central to Saul slash Paul's ministry as well. And I think there's a lot of parallels between these two men. I think, I think there's a great number of parallels between these two men. And one of those parallels is the role that friendship played in supporting their ministry. Think about where we left Saul uh, in our last message. He had been struck blind on the road to Damascus. He is located in the house of a man named Judas, who is probably not a Christian, on a street called Straight. He is blind on a busy street, hearing the sounds of the city, hearing life move on without him. There's a period of time in which he isn't sure whether he'll be blind forever or what, what the deal is. There's all sorts of uncertainty there. He's fasting. He's praying. Jesus provides a vision to Saul that involves a man coming to him named Ananias to lay hands on him and regain his sight. And so, so there's this interesting moment where Saul is alone, and it isn't good for him to be alone. And Jesus says, there's someone coming, this man named Ananias, and he's going to come and lay hands on you so that you'll regain your sight. And then in pretty quick succession throughout the rest of the chapter, we see how friendship plays a central part in Saul's life. Ananias is what you would probably say is Saul's first Christian friend. But shortly thereafter, as he's stirring up trouble with his proving Jesus stuff in Damascus, uh, the Jews seek to kill him. And it says further on in chapter 9, in verse 24 and 25, 
that his disciples, which, you know, his friends, told him about the plot and lowered him in a basket down the wall. And then we get to Saul going to Jerusalem. And Saul's in Jerusalem, and all of the disciples are afraid to meet him, except for who? Barnabas. Barnabas goes and extends into the risk to meet with Saul and later bring Saul into fellowship with the rest of the apostles. So even just in chapter 9, you've got three different friendships that play pivotal roles in the life of Saul. And then you can keep moving through the book of Acts and see men like Luke and men like Timothy and Priscilla and Aquila. And the major plot point is, you know, what, what's going on with Barnabas and Paul and, and John Mark and so on and so forth. So the role of Christian friendship, I think it's easy to think of Saul because he's such a dominant personality I think it's easy to think of him as a guy who is mostly alone, but this is not the case. He is mostly with other men, walking in Christian friendship in his mission to be an instrument of the gospel. In fact, being alone stings. It hurts, it hurts Paul. At the end of 2 Timothy, he says, all have deserted me. Luke alone remains, and so forth. And it, to me, feels, when I read that passage, that that's maybe the lowest of lows for Paul is that when all have deserted him. So we're going to talk about Christian friendship this week, next week, following week. And we're going to center today on verse 17, where it says, So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit really only have one main point today, and it's all bound up in that phrase, Brother Saul. So let me tell you my best point, and it's coming early, so I guess you could potentially tune out. Uh, you won't miss as much. I, I, haven't, I haven't buried the lead here. I'm going to give it to you on the front end. The best point, the whole idea, the key to Christian friendship is bound up in that phrase, Brother Saul, and the key to Christian friendship is, as best I can see it, is to see the other as Christ sees him. This is what Christian friendship is. Christian friendship is to see the other as Christ sees that man or that woman. And so Ananias has a lot of other evidence uh, that he could rely upon. And this is going to be the truth in our experience with friendship as well. Ananias has been told a lot about Saul. But how does he, what, what piece of information does he use in choosing how to relate to Saul? He chooses what Christ has said about Saul to be the defining information that he will act upon. So in so many ways, this simple phrase, brother Saul, is the demonstration of Christian friendship. Christian friendship, as opposed to other forms of friendship, is the choice to interact with another on the basis of what Christ sees and says and not on the basis of what we see or others say. That's what Ananias is doing here. He is acting on Christ's insight into the nature of Saul. Not, he is not acting on his own insights. He is not acting on the insights of others. He is, in, he is acting he is seeing Saul as Christ sees Saul. And this is the basis of friendship, the basis of Christian friendship. In John 15, 15, 
Jesus says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. There is a ton of depth in that passage, but I want you to mostly understand that the definition for Jesus of friend as opposed to servant is to tell you what's going on behind the scenes, is to tell you how the Father sees things, is to tell you what the Father is doing. And so this is the kind of second key idea uh, in the message, and that is by making us his friends and showing us what the Father is doing, Jesus gives us the capacity to be true friends to others. So Jesus, in giving us the insider information, like he does with Ananias, he tells Ananias, now this is who Saul is. By giving Jesus, by giving uh, Ananias that insider information, he's doing two things. One, he is treating Ananias like a friend. He's giving him the inside scoop. And two, he is giving Ananias the tool he needs to be a Christian friend. Namely, this is how I see Saul. This is how I see him. So this John 15, 15, I no longer call you servants. Now I call you friends because you know what I'm about. You know what I'm doing. Not only is that the expression of friendship from Jesus, but it's also the empowerment of friendships that we would hopefully have in the future with other believers in particular. I want to talk about that, this idea that Christian friendship is acting on what Jesus says about someone else. And I want to point to four kind of practicalities related to this idea. Number one, providence. Providence. Uh, Not just a good name for a local church. Uh, One of the things we must see when considering the, uh, the idea of Christian friendship is that it is God who is choosing the friendship. Now, this shows up really clearly in Acts 9. Saul is alone in a house, praying, blind, and he is given a vision that Ananias will come to him. Ananias is alone in a house, praying, and he is given an order to go and meet with Saul. And what you see there at kind of the macro level is, is that, you know, God is the, the uh, friendship arranger. Jesus is working within the providence of your life, just as we talked about last week as you as an instrument. Jesus is working within the providence of your life to make divine appointments with other people. He's creating, he's bringing friendships to bear in your life. There was this, uh, some of you know that, that we have this relationship with these incredible guys, uh, you know, in, in, in a pretty, uh, this sermon's going online, so let me be careful, uh, in, a, in a pretty oppressed and dangerous part of the world. And some of you know that I got to spend a week with them in another part of the world that was safer uh, a, a couple, a year ago or so. And there was this one guy out of all the guys that they were all, they're all friends, and they're all picking on this guy. Now, I don't speak their language, and so like, I could tell that they were in a good way, in a humorous way, picking on him. But I was kind of like curious. And he did dress a little different, and he kind of held himself a little different too. And, uh, and so I, I knew something was up. And so finally I asked. We're all sitting having dinner together, and there's like 12 guys. 
And they're all kind of always just like pick jabbing at this one guy. And I said, you know, what's going on with this poor dude? You know, you, you guys are always chirping at him. And, and they all said, he got married because of love. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? And I said, he is, he, we all have arranged marriages, you know. And this one guy, you know, he refused to marry who his parents told him to marry. So we call him Mr. Love. And, uh, you know, they were like basically like making him out to be, you know, a player in a way, I guess. I don't know. Uh, this idea, though, of arranged marriages, you know, I think it'll come back in fashion. I honestly do. I think it will come back in fashion at some point in in this world. I, I really do believe that. That's that's probably a long ways away from happening, but I really think that will occur. Uh, this idea, there, there are obvious benefits to it, right? There are obvious dangers to it, but there are obvious benefits to it as well. But of course, all of us believe that when we get married, it has been an arranged marriage, right? Like we believe that God is orchestrating events in such a way as to bring certain people into our lives. So in some respects, it's all arranged, right? To see friendship as, in particular friendships, as a gift from God, to see friendships as providence from God, as God sovereignly working in the world, this is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Lewis talks about providence this way in friendships. He says, in friendship, we think we have chosen our peers. In reality, a few years difference in the dates of our births, a few more miles between certain houses, the choice of one university instead of another, posting to different regiments, the accident of a topic being raised or not raised at a first meeting, any of these chances might have kept us apart. But for a Christian, there are, strictly speaking, no chances. A secret master of ceremonies has been at work. Christ, who said to the disciples, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, can truly say to every group of Christian friends, you have not chosen one another, but I have chosen you for one another. Now, this is important because as we begin to think about friendships, Christian friendships, in a, in a way that God wants us to, we're going to see that this idea that God has brought these to bear is key. To see that these are, these are gifts from God is key. And that's because of point number two. Not only do you see providence at work in Christian friendships, but you see purpose. This friendship initiated by Ananias is rooted in the understanding that, that Saul is going to be what? We talked about this last week. He is going to be an instrument. He is going to be an instrument to bring the gospel to the Jews, to kings, and to the Gentiles. And so what, what's key in, in keeping a Christian friendship a Christian friendship is first saying, God has done this. God has brought this to pass. God in his providence has done this. But the second key is to say this, is ha- this, this, this friendship has a divine purpose and that purpose is above me and that purpose is above you. The purpose of this gift of God is the purpose of all gifts of God and that is to bring glory to the name of Jesus. Friends, we are great idol manufacturers and we have within dwelling sin such a great tendency to turn the gifts of God into gods 
and you know, we're not, we're not too bad at that, you know. It's a bad thing, but we're good at it. And we're good at picking the best stuff to idolize. And I'll tell you point blank, it is, it is quite easy, quite easy, no matter how old you are, to begin to think that a friendship that you have or desire pivots around your desires or the desires of the other. It, it, it's only, it only, it, it can just, it can happen at any time in a friendship so that you suddenly forget that this friendship that you have, that God created, it doesn't have you and the other as its end. It has Christ as its end. And when you begin to do that, you stop being a Christian friend because Christian friends look at each other the way that Christ sees them. And Christ doesn't see you as you're for you. Christ says, sees you as you're for me. This is probably the number one disruptor in marriage and friendships. Is this, this warped perversion in which somehow subtly we begin to think of this relationship as existing for the sake of our happiness. And, and you don't have to be married to know what that's like. Uh, you could just have a good friend, and this will creep in over time. And let me tell you something. This will affect how you speak to them. This will affect uh, how you're offended or not offended. This will affect your patience level with them. This will affect your willingness or unwillingness to speak truth into their lives. Because if the goal of that relationship is you, then you're going re- to manage that relationship in such a way as to bring about you oriented goals so so the third idea here is not only that there's purpose but there's two dynamics at work in christian friendship and these are so interesting so so let me introduce these two additional dynamics by reading to you uh, hebrews chapter 10 verse 14 this is a key verse for our theology of identity This is a key verse if you're wondering, like, who am I? Like, how do I work? What's my basic operating system? Like, what's the deal with me? Uh, This is a really good verse for that. This is also a key verse for you understanding every, uh, literally every other Christian you'll ever meet. That verse, Hebrews 10, 14, for by a single offering, he, Jesus, has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Now, remember, the whole idea of this message is I want to see my Christian friends, the way Jesus sees them. And here's two more lenses that I need to use to see my Christian friends the way that Jesus sees them. And that is this idea of being perfected, but also a work in progress. Go back to that verse for a minute, if you would, Zach. So, so I, the, the perfected piece is obvious. It's right there in the text. But do you see the work in progress? He has by a single offering perfected for all time, perfected, finished, done, those who are being sanctified. So when you look at another Christian, there's two realities that you manage. Number one, by Christ's costly death, he has, through that great work, made all who are saved perfect before him. And that perfection is being progressively worked out over time. So when you relate to other people who are believers in Jesus, 
you have to have this simultaneous sense of confidence, hope in who, not only who they are, but who they will be. I will tell you point blank that if you don't have a vision for your friends, like you're just not very good friends. This whole like take me as I am, great, but that is not biblical love. Biblical love is take me as I am and lead me to where I need to be. That's how God loves us. God's love is better than unconditional. He comes to us wherever we are, but then he takes us where we need to be. Vision is a shocking short supply when it comes to friendship. If you simply as a Christian start having vision for other people that is a biblical, Christ-oriented vision, you will be surprised how, how unusual that is and how, how, how it will accent that relationship in a way that they don't, they've never experienced before. Well, that vision needs to be rooted in the truth, the truth of what Jesus has done. And the truth is, is that in one sense, all those who are in Christ are perfected. And so I can look at a brother in Christ and say, Jesus has paid for every sin you have committed, you will commit. Jesus has bought you. He he has made you his. You are Christ's. And I can look at someone with confidence and hope and have patience for them and so forth. And so for some of us, the challenge I have a little more prophetic bent. The challenge is to look at someone who is struggling, a Christian who is struggling, and have hope for them, right? But then some of us are on the other side of it, and we tend to think that Christian friendship is simply a fire hose of encouragement without any admonishment. Like, no, no. If you are looking at someone the way Christ sees them, he sees them in both categories. Jesus sees people that he has saved as totally righteous, counted totally righteous because of his perfect sacrifice. But he also counts them as in need of repentance. And so biblical Christian friendship and this idea, Christian friendship is looking at someone else the way Christ looks at them. It means two things. It means I have great confidence and hope and patience. Christ has made a way for you to be his forever. And I'm going to speak into your life. Both encouragement, exhortation, admonishment, and so forth. It's both of those things. Because if when we start looking at others like Christ, we will learn the balance. And here's the other thing. We will learn that balance as we practice it on our unfortunate Christian friends. We will learn that balance as we practice it on our Christian friends. And here's the deal with that. Your Christian friend needs to look at you like Christ sees you as both perfected and a work in progress. And there needs to be a buffer created full of grace as we figure out how to love each other like Jesus loved us, like, like Jesus loved us, really loved us, and loves us. So this, this sense of you are perfected, but you're a work in progress, that is the baseline of Christian friendship as well. We're going to start doing this thing on, on, on our community group nights where we're going to talk about three areas of, of discussion that are sort of over and above the sermon. Maybe they integrate the sermon, maybe they don't. But every community group, we, we want to encourage a conversation to be had along three questions. 
what needs to be repaired in your life? Like what's broken right now? Like car on the side of the road, kind of like what needs to be repaired? What rhythms do you need help establishing in your life? Bible reading, prayer, consistent bedtime, giving. And what reaches are there for you? What are, what are the, big, the big steps that you think God might be calling you to? The big, uh, big kind of maybe God's calling me to adopt, maybe, maybe God's calling us to move somewhere, whatever. Rhythms or, or repairs, rhythms and reaches. And if we can consistently engage in conversation and community group with those three ideas, what are the repairs that need to happen in your life? What, what help do you need in creating good systems church of, 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 of Christian disciplines? And what are the dreams? What are the, what are the big things that are sort of hanging out there that, that you think God might be calling you to? What we need to do as Christian friends is get good at asking these questions of each other. Now, we don't have to use my words, but what we're doing is we're, we're engaging in this sacred honor of encountering another individual that Christ has purchased with his blood. Right? C.S. Lewis says it this way. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you may talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, in some degree, helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. All day long, we are, in one degree, helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, mortal horrors or everlasting splendors. This does not mean that we are to be perpetually solemn. We must play, but our merriment must be of that kind, and it is, in fact, the merriest kind, which exists between people who have, from the outset, taken each other seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, no presumption. And our charity must be a real and costly love with deep feeling for the sins in spite of which we love the sinner. No mere tolerance or indulgence which parodies love as flippancy, parodies merriment. Next to the blessed sacrament itself, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. If he is your Christian neighbor, he is holy in almost the same way. For in him also Christ, the glor- glorifier and the glorified, glory himself is truly hidden. If I were to ask you three weeks from now, what is the key to Christian friendship? I have attempted to preach such a simple and repetitive message that three weeks from now you would say, the key to Christian friendship is to see others like Jesus sees them. 
and then act on that. That's, that's really all we're talking about this morning. Later on in Paul's life, he would encounter such the greatest hits of church dysfunction, right? Uh, he's got the Galatians, he's got the Corinthians, he's the greatest hits of church dysfunction. And he almost always begins all of his letters by affirming that which has been perfected in them through Christ. He calls them saints. He calls them the blessed saints. He recognizes the work of Christ even when they are being really crummy. But he also he also gets to work in helping them make more of Jesus. He takes them seriously. He takes them seriously. How do you take someone seriously? You assume that if they're confessing Christ, they have a serious interest in the truth. They have a serious interest in Jesus. They have a serious interest in seeing their sin. You assume that if they are confessing Christ, they want to know these things. So, so Paul's got this, this, this down. He doesn't do ministry without this. He couldn't. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. This is, this is the key. This is the, this is the Pauline statement of the key to Christian friendship. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. I don't look at my Christian friends in the flesh. I look at my Christian friends in the spirit. Therefore, verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Let me pray.